Welcome to another episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. These podcasts are hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director Bryce Yonker. All right. Today we have with us Rich Shadano. Rich is the CEO of Regulatory Assistance Project, affectionately known as RAP in the industry. Rich, thanks for being on with us. Nice to be with you, Bryce. Can you briefly share a bit about Regulatory Assistance Project and your role there? Well, RAP has been around for 27 years, and we're doing now what we started out doing a long time ago, which is providing policy advice and strategic guidance and technical assistance to governments. Uh, about utility and energy sector matters, uh, focusing a lot on the PUCs, but also on other parts of government, uh, environmental regulators, executive branch people, state legislators, and people in uh, in Washington as well. Uh, lately, there's been a slight uptick in the amount of things going on in D.C. For a while, there wasn't much. And of course, we also work in in China, Europe, and India. And I'm the CEO. I've been the CEO now for three years. Uh, we didn't have a CEO before. We managed kind of as a collective. Um, but I worked in state government for a long time in Vermont and uh, started out in the power business as an engineer for, with the Philadelphia Electric Company. Deep background in the industry, no doubt. Thanks for your service there. Uh, before we get into our discussion, it's um, early July here and I'm in, in Oregon, you're in Rhode Island, and, and our um, states, I think, have been fortunate enough to uh, kind of slow the curve of the pandemic, but um, it's been four months of some pretty crazy times, so I figured I'd just ask, how are you doing? How are you hanging in there? Well, I'm doing okay. Uh, getting outside, seeing neighbors from a, a distance, uh, learning how to recognize people behind masks. Uh, I am missing uh, colleagues. Uh, I'm often uh, have to fly to uh, Brussels or to Beijing to see some of our colleagues, and I can't do that now and don't know when I'll be able to. Uh, and I think all of us at, at RAP are feeling a little bit concerned about being so apart as much as we try to do things virtually anyway. Yeah, so how, how is the team? I, I, I think there's maybe about 50 folks on the organization there. How are you guys working on a remote basis? And kind of how has the dynamics impacted the work uh, that you guys are doing there? Well, our, our program people are largely virtual anyway, working from where they live all around. We do have an office in Brussels and in Montpelier, Vermont, and in Beijing where people congregate. And I think the Montpelier office uh, really do like to work together on all kinds of things, and they're missing missing each other. I just I think earlier today there, three of them had a, a little meeting on the state house lawn in Montpelier. They brought their chairs and kept their distance, uh, <laughs> and I saw some photos. So so the, uh, people are are coping. But I think from RAP's perspective, we do rely a lot on per- personal relationships. In the U.S., uh, the lockdown happened just after the annual meeting of the nation's regulators in Washington. We were there in force. So that's carrying us for a while. Uh, but the next national regulators meeting this summer is being virtual, and we'll certainly miss the contacts that we always make at those meetings and hope that we get back to those kinds of, of situations soon. 
So you guys work around so many issues, but maybe you can just kind of recap and lay out some of the top areas that you guys are prioritizing. And if you can think about a second part of that question, how some of those areas are being either accelerated or impacted by what's going on right now. Well, you know, climate change was already the big crisis. This, we have a new crisis that's overlaying on climate change. And uh, I think we have to be able to work on both at the same time. There's a, a, already a lot of momentum around electrification and uh, uh, COVID recovery hopefully will, will help electrification happen because we, I think that's where a lot of jobs are going. Uh, greening the grid, bringing more renewables onto the grid for all kinds of reasons, cost, environment, climate. Uh, those are going to be... Uh, again, part of the recovery. Uh, we're working on recoveries in, in Europe and in China and China's 14th five-year plan as well. And these are the kinds of things that we're talking about in those places too. One, one thing that I think is going to happen because of the virus is making a stronger, more explicit connection between the energy sector and matters like uh, health and energy poverty and environmental justice. I think there's opportunities now to uh, elevate those issues. And uh, we've actually published some stuff about that lately. I think if, if you just focus on the uh, I's and T's of, of the details of regulation, you, you miss a whole lot of, of what makes it work for people. So maybe we can start our conversation on what's going to work for people. Um, so, so customers are being pretty significantly impacted out there. We've seen a significant uptick and people that are having a difficulty or are worried about being able to pay their bills. Um, you've got CNI load that's certainly been impacted by the economic recovery and that's we're you know, we're kind of still in the recession mode, not yet into the recovery phase. So can you maybe talk a little bit about how we take care of customers, the collective we in the industry and where that overlaps with some of the work that you guys are doing there at RAP? The utilities are investment machines. They're constantly investing tremendous amounts of money in infrastructure, critical infrastructure that keeps the economy, keeps social fabric going. And they should obviously keep doing that. Increasingly, part of the investment is in customers, uh, starting 30, 40 years ago with energy efficiency and now branching out into other forms of distributed energy resources that can substitute for utility capital investments, uh, both economically and from an environmental perspective. So I think that's an important thing. But maybe the, the, the bottom line thing that many people are concerned about is keeping customers on, keeping them uh, served. And I, I think PUCs need to send clear signals that they're not going to make utilities have to choose between their shareholders and their customers, that it's important to, to say that the customers need consideration, shareholders need consideration too, and PUCs have the tools through accounting orders and other magic that will assure that utilities are compensated for the costs that they incur. Uh, so we have to just not put the utilities in a vice. Well, perfect. It's a perfect transition to, to my follow-on question. So in all of the work that you guys do with regulatory bodies and other government agencies, when you look at the toolkit that's available to the industry now, what do you think 
becomes maybe more important or especially important in a time like now in dealing with how, how we take care of customers, how we take care of the marketplace right now. One of the things that's changing in the way that PUCs supervise utilities is that there's, I think, more collaborative, direct communication. Uh, a lot of PUCs started with being very ministerial and distant and formal and uh, wanting to resolve disputes as opposed to really recognizing that there's a an ongoing oversight that requires a, perhaps more exchange and iteration. Those states that have adopted those kinds of mechanisms, I think, are advantaged at a time like this. When we're seeing things we've never seen before, we're encountering pressures that that really produce dilemmas and and put decision-making people in a, in a place where they're not sure what to do. And what government always needs to try to do, and what I always used to try to do when I was in government, was is to convey leadership and to convey a sense of clarity and certainty so that the people who then can execute on private sector decisions as a utility has to do can have some sense that if they do the right thing, the right thing is going to have is going to follow. And if they do the wrong thing, then they sh- will have something to answer for. That's what we need to see from from government. I think utilities are capable of doing any range of things to to help us through this. And if they don't get clear signals from from government about how they're going to be treated, they may not do all of those things. Uh, and and that would of course be a shame. So within the regulatory construct or the other kind of government levers that are out there. How do you see that part of the ecosystem being able to encourage adoption of things like innovation and, and kind of restructuring the way that we've historically run our systems? Is you know innovating in a time like now in a crisis a good opportunity or a challenged one? Or what would your thoughts be on that topic? You know, there's this classic never waste a good crisis, and uh, innovation frequently comes out of crisis. So I would say that it's, it is critical to be looking at what we're seeing now, the challenges that we're having now, and not get bogged down in, in the details of, of revenues going up or revenues going down or costs going up or costs going down. PUCs are going to have to ask and, and get answers to all of those questions and not take anybody's superficial or first statement about this. Uh, the delivery uh, is the fundamental monopoly of the distribution company, and I think that is being rethought because uh, non-wires alternatives are increasingly available. Uh, so there are different ways to solve the, the challenge of delivering electric services, uh, some of which may be to help customers produce their own services. Technology can serve the whole system and all customers together, that's a good thing. And technology can also serve individual customers who are willing to invest in their buildings, in their processes. And so we need to give innovators a path to reach customers. Now, sometimes that's in some places that's going to be through the utility. Some In some places, the utility is going to say, we want to manage the experience our customers have and we want innovators to come through us. Some say, well, that's not a very market-oriented approach to, and mar- markets are good for innovation. What we need to do is really open up a platform that allows customers to, to touch the innovators that they want. 
And uh, I think the jury is out on whether one or the other is the right thing to do. Thankfully, we have so many states, we'll have many experiments. But I think what we need to recognize is that whatever we do, we need to recognize the potential for innovation to help people do the things they want to do cheaper and cleaner and help make those pathways possible for innovators to make a return on really compelling investments. And I, the last thing I'll say is that uh, a lot of times this gets compartmentalized in this conversation around the PUC. And I think the conversation needs to include not just the PUC, but elected people. And and we need to think of this as an important economic development driver for states and for the whole country. And that's why I think some governors are taking an interest in this. Not all of them. I wish all of them would. Uh, but I think that it, it is as much a political economy issue as it is a technical regulatory issue. So you said, you know, there are differing ways of distribution utilities delivering services powered by trends like non-wire alternative investment uh, opportunities. Can we peel that onion back a little bit further and and talk a, a little bit more in depth as to regulatory elements, government policies, and the other potential changes in the in the overall marketplace and landscape that are going to potentially allow that to accelerate? What's out there to potentially give pathways for these differing ways of delivering services uh, a better footing to scale on? There's a whole shopping list of things one could do. Performance regulation that focuses on societal outcomes and asks the question, what do utilities do that influences societal outcomes that we want? And then focuses the utility management on achieving those outcomes possibly for the glory of it, but maybe also possibly because the management will see some rewards for shareholders. I think states are not really great in general about demonstrations. And what I'm thinking about is not just a pilot to try something and finding out if it works and getting a yes or no answer, but to with the idea that it's an experiment that's intended to scale to the entire state And one of the challenges in the process that we have is that there's a a questionable tolerance for failure. A lot of these ideas, good ideas, may or may not work the first time out and may need time to, to gestate for learning to sharpen the ideas and make them clear. I think that in many state capitals, the tolerance for a, a first idea not working and then killing the idea leads people to say, well, maybe it's we're better off just doing the same thing next year as we did last year and not innovating. So I think that this is another reason why it's not just a PUC implementation issue, but it's a political issue. You know, we, a lot of people talk about the, the 60s and how optimistic we were about technology and science and innovation and where, where have we gone? Well, that's a good question. Uh, we need that now because there's a tremendous amount of science and innovation and technology that's being being brought to bear in the energy sector that affects the rest of the economy. And without that kind of optimism, a lot of those ideas will fail or at least be decades behind where they should be. Can we continue down the path of the first idea you had shared on this question, which is is around performance-based regulation? You know, I, I know that Rev really had high ambitions, and and when it came to 
the practice of putting that in motion, it, it, it seems like um, the vision versus the implementation, there may be some gaps there. Uh, Hawaii seems to be trekking along the path of its performance-based regulation proceedings right now, and, and other states have had elements of it. What does a time like now present for using a tool like that? Does it give more market drivers to use a tool and a mechanism like that? Or does it give more challenges or both? What what does nat, the, the, the time we're in now look like for the possibility of performance-based regulation potentially um, mm-hmm. becoming more widely used? Right. Well, before the virus, what I think what we've been having over the past few years is a bit of a crisis in terms of how people see government. I think people have lost faith a bit in government. And uh, that has led to a lot of political uh, turmoil in this country over the past few years. And so what I would like to see PUCs do is articulate and help utilities articulate what's most important. And, And again, legislators are important in helping them do that. Whether or not you attach economic rewards to that is a separate question from being really clear about having a report card of what's the most important and being able to use objective data to determine how we're doing. Are we getting A's? Are we getting F's? Are we all over the place? How is a person to know? We're not tracking these this information. People are allowed to believe whatever they wanna believe and a lot of people are skeptical so they assume failure is happening and they get skeptical, uh, cynical even. So I think attending to performance, however you want to do it, is the first question. A lot of for a lot of people, giving utilities rewards is that's American. It's what what makes sense. It makes a difference to management when when governments do that. But even if you don't want to do that, if you are worry about whether you can measure performance very well, if you're not sure what the difference is between baseline performance and exceptional performance, just starting to to decide what's important and finding metrics that will tell you how you're doing is a first step. If you want to go slow, uh, do that for a few years, and then you might be able to then bring in some economic drivers uh, to, to make that work. You mentioned New York. I think New York is actually doing pretty well on this topic. The six utilities in New York all have performance metrics. They've been through a one rate case cycle and are entering a second now. And the commission itself is rethinking exactly what their original guidance on this should be changed to match the experience. Uh, essentially, they're doing to the, for themselves what they want utilities to be doing, which is thinking about continuously improving what they're doing. There's a lot of things about REV that have, have not turned out, but I think on performance systems, it's actually working pretty well. Uh, even some of the people who are objecting at the beginning are feeling okay about it now. Uh, some of the people who, are, who were excited about it at the beginning are still excited about it. Frankly, I think the biggest problem New York has is that they're not telling their story very well. They ha- had a, a good storyteller, two good storytellers in government, in Richard Kaufman and Audrey Zibelman, mm-hmm. and their successors are good people. They're not quite as good storytellers. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a big difference in how a person on the West Coast might perceive what's going on over on the other coast. You know, in a time like now when it's difficult to 
understand and quantify risk and reward, does that complicate how we try to rebalance that equation right now? Or does it just shine a light on the fact that we do need to balance that more effectively between shareholders and customers or management or whoever the the key Mm -hmm. stakeholders are? Well, let's start from the where we start from, which is that it, it, under traditional regulation, utilities are rewarded in profits for capital growth. And sometimes that's the wrong answer because there are cheaper and better solutions that are expenses. And whether you, whether you look at wind and solar procurements or whether you look at, at cloud computing or many other kinds of examples where an expense, a subscription is, is better than a capital investment, you see that the regulatory system has a problem, which it can fix if it wants to. And one of the things that has happened in some states, not just New York, but including New York, is that they basically create a gateway for optimized expenses to receive some sort of treatment that looks something like a capital return whether it's a percent of dollars back on the dollar or whether it's creating regulatory assets, there's different ways to do it. But the idea is to signal to the utility that we want you to do the best thing for the for society for the long term and not to just do the thing that's going to make you the most money because our system has rules in it that don't work. I mean, people who are fans of the Hunger Games know the role of the game master. Well, the PUC is the game master here. And they can set rules that will f- create outcomes that make sense. Uh, we're not we're not appealing to the the masses on television. We're appealing to ultimately public policy. But I think there is a recognition that if you have the rules wrong, you're going to go off in the wrong direction, and and you can fix the rules. So let's do that. Would you say that there's positive progress in kind of breaking the logjam of the capital expenditure bias idea, you know, where you're essentially trying to expend as much capital as possible because you get your guaranteed rate of return if that's approved? Would you say there's positive progress on that? Or are we, are we sending the right signals to the market to be capital efficient and invest in the air quotes, the right technical solutions? There's positive progress. I think the toolbox is filled with good ideas. I think what we lack is the collective determination to use them. Unfortunately, in many states, utilities in the past have done things that have created mistrust. And so when asked now to say, well, let's all rally around and and do this good thing, a lot of people who have spent a long time feeling anxious about anything that the utility proposes because it must be self-interested, uh, and and biased in some way uh, creates a, a a challenge, and that's why I think those states that have created a culture of collaboration that allows to get behind the superficial view of some of these ideas are going to be much better able to manage these this progress than others. And you know where you are, Bryce in Oregon, the legislature asked the PUC to consider performance regulation a really terrific collaborative, which we and RMI happened to be involved with, ensued. And there wasn't just a report that came out of that. There was also a community that came out of that. And I'd like to think anyway that some goodwill was created that will allow for good ideas to flourish in ways in Oregon that maybe other states lacking that experience might have more trouble with. 
goodwill and shareholder return. What an interesting dynamic, you know, that, that these IOUs are trying to balance. Well, think about return on equity as, as compared to a, a system where we have return on equity, return on service, return on public interest outcomes. Let, let's talk about how to do that. When you look at the utility landscape and utilities, maybe in some jurisdictions have lost a little bit of trust. Um, in others, maybe they have a somewhat better you know, view amongst regulators or, or community stakeholders. What are some of the key things that you think they either should definitely be doing or should be actively considering to either rebuild that trust or just better position themselves here in the future? It's a frustrating thing to talk about the utilities view of their customers. On the one hand, utilities have a tremendous amount of information and a perspective on their customers that's that nobody could match. And yet sometimes they seem to be out of touch in some ways. Those utility executives that have a knack for their customers or worth their weight in gold for their companies. One, one angle on that is, is a concern about resiliency. Uh, resilience is, is an anxiety for customers in different places, whether it's concern about earthquakes or tsunamis where you live or, or winter weather, uh, out here in the Northeast. Re- resilience is an anxiety. And for years, the only thing a person could do was buy a backup generator. And, you know, that just seemed like an awful lot of stuff that you needed to do. And now there are better solutions. So now we have the utility. In a, in a position to help a customer with something that they're concerned about and something that the utility might have some some idea about how to do. So one of my favorite stories these days is Green Mountain Power's uh, bring your own storage or subsidized Tesla Powerwall program in, in, in Vermont. And the key thing there is that, first of all, the customer wants a battery because they want resilience because they're worried about the power going out. But if we give the utility an opportunity to manage that storage device and use that management managed storage device as an economic engine for participating in their power pool in New England, and the, the utility can return some of that benefit to the customer in terms of a discount on a storage device that they really want but think is kind of expensive, but now it's right, right in their wheelhouse, all of a sudden we have a lot of happy people. We have customers that are getting the resilience they want. We have a utility that can more easily manage the ups and downs that happen in, in, the, in the system. And we have a state government that just has a lot more happier people. And so the PUC has, might have said, well, we, why is utility getting involved with this? Instead, the, the, the PUC said, let's try this. Let's, just, this. let's see how it works out. And the Green Mountain Power preemptively did the right thing by saying, well, We'll not just provide our own storage devices. We'll also do, give you the same deal if you bring your own storage device. If you want to go with your own vendor, that's fine. We'll still give you the incentive to let us manage your storage system because it's important to us. It's valuable to us. So that's the kind of story I think that we can say to people in other states, you know, well, what works in your state that can give this kind of outcome? Yeah, I was definitely going to ask about about resiliency. You know, a few years ago, you know, code word for in, in our neck of the woods, Cascadia subduction earthquake zone. You know, there's been major storms, you know, in various parts of the season across the country, wildfires in the West, very active, still in a major concern. I think many folks lump kind of cyber and the security elements kind of in there. And so it's still top of mind 
before all of this, but now it has a whole new meaning for what utilities have had to put in practice mm-hmm. from an operational continuity standpoint. Um, so, when you look at resiliency, I know a lot of stakeholders have had difficulty quantifying the value and being able to move that through the regulatory process. Do you have any thoughts or recommendations around how used and useful and prudent and the traditional, you know, regulatory construct, you know, can be used effectively on thinking through resiliency investments? I don't really pay much attention to efforts to quantify resiliency. I think what we need to understand are what are the risks that we're trying to guard against and create strategies that are cost effective to address those risks. Uh, In Boston, they're concerned about climate change and flooding of some low-lying areas that are very important to their economy. Different places are going to have different risks. Microgrids are really a great solution in many of these situations to make sure that critical infrastructure, critical services are maintained even as there might be a loss of service to individuals, but uh, individuals will have a place to go so that they're safe. Uh, We need to consider from a public safety perspective in the same way that we think about other public safety challenges, how we manage those risks using the power system as a strategic resource. And I think we have a tremendous number of tools that we're not applying to those scenarios. So so I think a scenario approach is is the right thing to do. And those places that already know what risks they're facing should look at the utility system and the PUC and the legislature if they have to give any permissions for things as partners for solving these challenges. So I've got one final question. It'll be two parts as we wrap up. So so my two-part question, one would be when you look back at the recent history it could be weeks or months or whatever long you want to look back on it. What are you especially proud of there uh, within the the portfolio of work at RAP? Uh, and when you look ahead out to the wider community, what are you really hoping starts to unfold? Uh, this could be some stuff that RAP is directly involved in or maybe just broader. Well, as I said, uh, we work a tremendous amount in in the bread and butter issues of regulation, uh, the incentives that are facing consumers, utilities, uh, challenges to refocus on electrification uh, and greening the grid. But I think our recent work on uh, infrastructure and inequality with solutions that we've done with uh, collaborating with our friends at Synapse and also the community action agencies, uh, we really stretched ourselves in ways that, that and, and this was done without anticipating any kind of pandemic, but it's really useful now that we have a pandemic. Uh, in Europe, we're doing uh, similar work, thinking about connecting energy with important social outcomes, health and equity. Uh, so I, I think that's the work that I'm most proud of. It stretches us. It, it provides useful insights to, to people of how, to, how the power system, the electric system, the energy system can address big social challenges uh, and so I'm most proud of that. And I, I think one, I think looking ahead, there's a term that is, I don't know if it's that popular in the U.S. It's popular in the U.S. It's called sector coupling. And basically what that means is that everything's connected to everything. 
And the, the idea of silos, of administrative agencies overseeing businesses in that, in that area and not really communicating with other administrative agencies, dealing with other businesses, well, that's really not a, a model that's built for our times. It's the model we have in many places, but it's not a model that's built for, for our time. Our time, transportation is connected to energy, it's connected to health, it's connected to environment, connected to housing, and it's all connected to economic development. All of these things are connected. And so, again, those governments that can see these things as a big economy and to see energy as as a, a part that will solve problems in all these other places, and all these other places have elements that will help to solve energy problems. I think they'll be the most advantaged in taking advantage of opportunities that are, are coming. So this notion of, in Europe, is called sector coupling, which I just think of as blowing up the silos. Uh, I think that would be a, a, a something for all of us to, to think about how that would work in the places that we live and work. Rich, thank you for being with us. Fantastic insights. We appreciate you being on. Thanks, Bryce. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.